listeners, and welcome back to Season 2 of the Climate Ready Podcast. This is Ingrid Timbo from the Alliance for Global Water Adaptation. We're back with our third episode of the season, this time focused on climate finance for adaptation, with a particular emphasis on adaptation in an Asian context. As always, I'm joined today by my colleague and co-host, Alex Maroner. Hey everyone, Alex here. As Ingrid said, today's episode delves into the financial aspects of how we pay for climate change adaptation projects. Already there's a huge gap between the amount of public and private funding available for adaptation and the amount required to meet the needs of developing countries. That gap is only likely to widen as the needs increase. According to the UN's environmental program, by the year 2050, developing countries may need between 280 and 500 billion annually to help them adapt to the effects of climate change. Returning to the present day, countries also face the challenge of access to existing funds. The vast majority of climate funds currently go towards mitigation projects, which are, of course, important as we seek to limit global temperature rise to below 2 degrees Celsius above pre-industrial levels. But to omit funding for adaptation leaves countries vulnerable to the effects of climate change that will occur regardless of whether or not we meet our mitigation targets. And that's why we've invited a senior climate change adaptation specialist working at the Asian Development Bank in Manila to help us understand how the ADB determines which adaptation projects to fund and how the ADB is shifting its overall investment strategy to ensure that its investments in sustainable development throughout Asia are also climate and water resilient. We were also curious about how climate adaptation is viewed in an Asian context and whether or not this differs from how we think about adaptation in the West. We hope you enjoyed this interview. The Climate Ready Podcast is a product of AGWA, the Alliance for Global Water Adaptation, an informal network for water resources adaptation to climate change, focused on supporting experts, decision makers, and institutions within the water community to find common solutions for sustainable water resources management. The podcast is made possible by funding from the World Bank Group. For more on the World Bank and its role in supporting climate adaptation efforts, visit www.worldbank.org. We are very excited to introduce today's guest, Xianfu Lu, joining us all the way from Manila in the Philippines. Ms. Lu is the Asian Development Bank's focal point for climate change adaptation and has worked on the science and policy of climate change adaptation for the past 20 years. Trained as an applied meteorologist, she spent the first 10 years of her career researching climate scenarios and their use in climate change impacts and vulnerability assessments in all different parts of the world. Prior to joining the Asian Development Bank, or ADB, Xianfu worked at UNDP's Global Environmental Facility Unit and at the Secretariat of the UN Framework Convention on Climate Change. Xianfu, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you very much for having me. I wanted to start by saying it's fitting that we're recording this episode on World Water Day. This year's theme is Nature for Water, which highlights the role that nature-based solutions can play in helping communities and countries adapt to changes in the water cycle brought on by climate change. So speaking of adaptation, we wanted to start by asking a question about the role that global policy organizations play in determining best practices for climate adaptation. You previously spent many years working within the UN system. In addition to its ambitious mitigation components, the UNFCCC's Paris Climate Agreement mandates the implementation of national adaptation planning 
to be regularly reviewed and updated over time. And while greenhouse gas reduction targets are relatively straightforward and measurable, adaptation measures can be much more open to interpretation and variable and are really dependent on the country and the context. What do you see as the correct role for the UNFCCC in terms of determining what constitutes a quote-unquote good adaptation project? As the name um, suggests, the UN policy process on climate change is the UN framework convention on climate change. So by definition, the convention process itself doesn't really go into the level of defining or determining um, what actually constitutes a good adaptation project. When we uh, come to define adaptation, you know, we measure inputs, we measure results of adaptation uh, efforts. How do we actually measure whether we, we have been successful in adaptation, in addressing uh, climate impacts? The role of the UNFCCC is really to um, set out the global policy direction. And this is critically important because as we are now living in a largely market-driven global economy, the policy matters. Once you have the global policy framework, national governments need to translate the national uh, commitment or intended contributions into um, national policy instruments, and then everything works from there. Well, that's a good synopsis of the importance of the UNFCCC when it comes to climate policy. But here on the Climate Ready podcast, a good deal of our audience is, is made up of climate adaptation practitioners. Why do you think they should care about the UNFCCC and What's the relevance to them? For example, the Paris Agreement, we have the, now the nationally determined contributions. And once that's in place, and then it will have to be um, translated into national legislations, and that would have very, very profound implications for different groups of actors, including uh, practitioners uh, in adaptation. They could include you know, both public private sector entities. If we talk about engineers working in, let's say, a water supply uh, sector, if a country decided to um, achieve certain adaptation goals, let's say we want to make sure or our water supply and or flood risk control in the future um, and the changing climate would give our citizens a certain level of protection, and that's a very concrete goal for the country. So we want to make sure our households or our businesses, they can get adequate water supply, no matter how the climate, the rainfall pattern is going to change in the future. So they would have a whole series of legislations to make sure that's achieved in the future. And from there, the water engineers, when they go around to design their infrastructure, they would have to take into account this policy level, the goal, how do we design our structures um, to achieve that service standards in the future. This is all very, very um, significant. So going from the national level and to the sort of very basic service provision and also similarly with the business sector. So they do uh, need to pay attention to the UNFCCC-related policies. So now that we've talked a little bit about UNFCCC and these policies perspectives and their criteria, we wanted to turn a little bit more to your current position. So in its role as a large-scale funding institution, how does the Asian Development Bank 
determine what constitutes a good project. And in particular, your team in, in working on climate and adaptation, how do you guys measure what constitutes a good project? Uh, ADB, the fundamental mandate is really to support its member developing countries to reduce poverty and, and promote development, particularly sustainable development. So that is the bottom line. And whatever we do around the climate change will have to be centered around that overarching mandate. So within that context, the way we approach climate change, whether it's mitigation or adaptation, we talk about mainstreaming. So we do have a uh, system in place and how do we judge whether it's a good adaptation project or a good development project. And I think we can do our very best and we don't have all the technical tools to actually make sure we are doing the absolute right thing and we are delivering the intended results. We do our best with the best science and information available. And we also have a monitoring evaluation system in place to record and track the results of projects. So if we were to take a step back and to look at this in the big picture of things, what do you see as the role of finance in climate adaptation? Is it to accelerate the process? Is it to highlight novel ideas, scale up implementation and mainstreaming? Or is it maybe something else entirely? You know, I think all these functions you outlined are applicable. You know, they are important to accelerate the, the process and to promote new ideas and introducing novel technology solutions and so on. The finance is definitely really important from the you know, policy right down to the delivery of climate-resilient infrastructure. But it's not all. So some of the things that we see as really important is the stakeholder engagement. For any adaptation efforts, the results from adaptation to last is really important that the stakeholders are engaged and committed. All of these different funding for climate change adaptation is a relatively, relatively new area for multilateral development banks such as the ADP. Do you see any particular trends popping up in terms of these projects? Are you seeing them already evolving even though they're relatively new themselves? So over the past 10 years, we've also been working very hard to raise awareness internally and externally with our client countries. And now the awareness is really um, rising, and that also, I think, uh, explains partially at least um, the increase in um, the, the growing portfolio of adaptation projects. I don't see a clear trend in you know, the type of projects emerging as uh, adaptation projects, but what I do see is you know, it's not relate, uh, limited to a particular sector or subsector, it's actually in all sectors. Our colleagues from operations are automatically asking the question, is my project at risk to climate change impacts? What can I do to enhance the climate resilience to make sure that, you know, it would um, deliver um, near and long-term resilience benefits to my project beneficiaries? So this is a huge achievement, I think. And this is also the maybe the results of our mainstreaming efforts. We are also very keen to document lessons learned and a new trend emerging in terms of the good practices in different sectors. We face different adaptation challenges and then over time we want to document what works and why it works. In that discussion, I'm wondering, you know, if uh, if we're, you know, we're talking about trends popping up in, in newer projects, do you think that 
it's more of a case to where the projects being proposed and submitted follow what's being funded or does the funding what you all are putting money into does it follow the trends of the project so what i mean by that is on world water day we're talking about nature for water if there's more of a push in terms of funding lately for projects that involve nature-based solutions do you think because there's more funding available for that more projects pop up or has there been a steady flow of those types of projects and the funding is just now catching up to this emerging trend does that make sense it's a very good question, and I um, I would say it works both ways. I think one of the really great things about uh, institutions like ADB is if we realize something's important that must be done, then you know we, we have the ability to deliver that. So in that sense, it's not really um, purely driven by what's available in terms of financial resources. The main driving here is really what we consider as the best solution. Obviously, then, you know, there is the element of what financial resources is available. Yeah, so it, it works both ways. We've been predominantly, you know, talking about adaptation projects more generally speaking, but within the ADB's climate projects, do you see water as a cross-cutting issue? Oh, yes, absolutely. So we have a set of sector groups. Uh, water is clearly one. And then we also have thematic groups like climate change, disaster risk management. But at the project level, we also work very much using this uh, nexus concept. Water is, you know, one of the topics that is sort of unifying uh, theme. It is a uh, very typical so cross-cutting issue at project level. And then at, you know, higher policy level, we also have the uh, water action plan and the climate change operations framework. And uh, water is pretty much in many, many sector projects. That's good to hear. So we know that climate change is currently in, and will continue to happen kind of at variable speeds with both these rapid onset events and also slow transformations. Many Asian countries are already facing a number of shocks such as typhoons and floods that are predicted to increase in frequency and intensity over the coming decades. And at the same time, the same countries are also experiencing very rapid growth. You talked about earlier how the mandate of the ADB is to promote development within Asian countries and, and particularly sustainable development. How do you balance planning for growth, especially the rapid growth that we're seeing in many of these countries in the face of rapid climate change? That's certainly a very um, daunting challenge. This is also really a shift in the way, in some way, uh, ADB works with countries now. Previously, without this climate change uh, dimension in our development work, it's normally going to the countries having a dialogue about the development priorities and then work out a project pipeline or business plan. But climate change didn't really feature very much in that conversations. But now it's pretty much a very upstream topic for discussion. So every um, periodically, maybe a three to five year cycle, ABB goes to client countries having a dialogue about the country partnership strategy. You know, to facilitate that, there's also a lot of work now on the way to produce diagnostics, including the expected impacts from slow onset and extreme climate events in the future, because some of the development investments would be locked in for a long time. 
So we invest in major infrastructure projects will stay for a long time, and therefore we need to think about uh, how climate change would the kind of implications for the services and the impacts those um, infrastructure is expected to deliver. That's pretty much, I think, um, shifting the way we are engaging countries in this uh, very upstream dialogue. So we, uh, last year, ADB published a quite major report discussing the really incredible amount of resources required to develop its infrastructure to support the rapid economic growth in the region. And on top of that, you know, the challenge posed by climate change impacts so there's definitely a shift in the thinking from the way upstream planning stage to deliver development in the changing climate. Staying on the topic of water, we all know that water doesn't really adhere to these national boundaries that we've imposed. Asia in particular has a lot of development issues that transcend national boundaries. So the decisions that are made in one country can and do significantly impact their neighboring countries. Given that climate change adds an additional level of uncertainty to planning and the impacts that can be felt across borders, how does the ADB evaluate projects in terms of their transboundary or maybe cross-border suitability? So we are a regional entity, a regional partner, and um, we are in a really uh, unique position to facilitate these regional discussions around these transboundary issues. So water, again, here is a very important catalyst, you know, issues around the Indo-Kushi, you know, in southern uh, South Asian countries, you know, water there, and then the uh, Great Mekong River is another example. So we, we are in a really uh, unique position. We try to, the way we help countries with these challenges is really facilitate cooperation um, from the knowledge level to um, concrete development projects. We do these things mostly through our regional cooperation in a very effective regional broker in this, these areas. So countries come to us for support at technical level and sometimes facilitating uh, policy dialogues and so on. So during this conversation, we spent all this time talking about what we see as the important work that you all at ADB and we at Agua are doing around climate change adaptation. But I wonder, in general, how is climate change perceived in the Asian context in which you work? Climate change adaptation, climate risk management, quite sadly, are still very much associated with really dramatic extreme weather events. In the aftermath of, of extreme events, you know, Philippines, we have horrendous typhoons and in the region, big floods. So each time this kind of tragic happens, then everybody talks about why this is happening. We need to do something about it. But for slow onset events, I think it's um, still a really um, lack of awareness and droughts and uh, sea level rise still not very visible phenomenon are not as well understood by the general public as um, really large-scale devastating weather extremes here. Well, we'd like to wrap up our conversation on a positive note. So let's think about the solution. As we continue our work and as we try to raise awareness, how can we get through to more people? Yeah, raise awareness and um, and the mainstream by demonstrating results. If we work with say concepts like nature-based adaptation, community-based adaptation, 
smart ways of doing development. You know, if we can really demonstrate results for a period of time, I think people will come around and they will change the the uh, perception. It's encouraging to hear that they're pioneers in Asia, obviously, as there are elsewhere, and um, that the Asian Development Bank is really taking a lead on this as well and at the forefront with mainstreaming and, and innovating some adaptation projects. That's all we had for you, Sean Fu, and we, um, we do really appreciate you joining us today. I enjoyed uh, talking to you both and sharing some of the thoughts and the experience from here. Really educational for me, <laughs> So <laughs> it was really great to talk to you. Thank you both very much. Bye, Bye. now. Well, that does it for the interview portion of the show. We'd like to again thank our guest, Xianfu Lu of the Asian Development Bank. I always find it valuable to get some insight into what's going on in different parts of the world and within these big international financial institutions. In particular, it was great to hear how ADB is successfully mainstreaming adaptation and climate considerations into its entire portfolio. They're undergoing a big shift. Now clients and colleagues are asking important questions like, is my project at risk to climate change impacts? What can I do to increase climate resilience for my beneficiaries? And I was also interested to hear about how water is considered a unifying theme within the ADB, not just as a sector. Too often at both the policy and project levels, I feel like water is considered only as a standalone sector and not as an element that crosses sectoral lines. From agriculture to human settlements to energy and infrastructure, water is really at the heart of all of these processes. As Asian cities continue to grow at a rapid pace and are at the same time impacted by extreme and slow onset climate impacts, sustainable water management is of utmost concern. So it was heartening to me to hear that the ADB recognizes this risk and considers climate and water throughout its portfolio of projects. Agreed. But at the same time, it's clear that more work needs to be done to highlight successful projects in order to attract more funding for adaptation activities. As Xianfu said, among the general public in Asia, and I believe globally as well, perceptions still need to be changed. That means it's up to us to demonstrate how nature-based and community-based sustainable development can help improve societal resilience over the long term in the face of the shocks and the stressors associated with climate change. After our pretty in-depth conversation on adaptation finance, we'll wrap up by taking a 90-degree turn and hearing a new postcard from the future. This week, we've got a blast from the past with a great message from Catherine Farr and a call to action from a celebrity, albeit a fictional one. Catherine is currently a researcher at the University of Oxford, as well as an environmental consultant at Venturi Innovation, having previously worked for the U.S. State Department. Take a listen and enjoy. As an 80s and 90s kid, I loved watching Captain Planet and the Planeteers with my younger brother and sister. It instilled in us not just a love of the environment, but convinced us that we, even as kids, had a role to play in protecting Earth from misuse by human society. For those less familiar with the show, Gaia, the spirit of planet Earth, sends five rings to five individuals from around the world who then work to save the planet and, when needed, join their rings to summon Captain Planet, a superhero who has all of their powers combined. The five planeteers are Kwame from Ghana, who possesses the power of Earth, Wheeler from New York City, who controls fire, Lanka from the Soviet Union, who harnesses wind, Ji from Japan, who is the power of water, and Mati, 
from the Brazilian Amazon who has heart. I wanted to write a postcard from Captain Planet reflecting on where we are today with protecting Earth. Dear Planeteers, we've had some good times in the 90s and we helped a generation of kids recognize that pollution was the problem and something they could help with. I know you're all busy with your sustainable development careers these days, so I was wondering if your kids, who are just about finishing high school, would have time for a year of working with me. There's a whole new generation that needs preparing for how to adapt to the changes happening to Earth's climate. Back in the 90s, we were working to save the rivers, the oceans, forests. They still need cleaning up and saving. But we need a new perspective. We need to figure out how to help places with lower stream flows and others that are getting more monsoons than ever before. I bet your kids would be up for some international adventure. There are some great ideas for adaptation coming out of Africa and Asia. I know if we all work together, we can save our planet. I've been really encouraged over the last few years that businesses are even starting to see our planet matters. I guess I have you and all those 90s kids to thank for bringing a can-do attitude to fighting for the planet by making businesses realize that without things like clean water, lots of companies can't make their products. Showing others that wind can make energy constant and sustainable. Tell the kids to be ready next week. I'll stop by then. It'll be great to have a quick reunion. Oh, give them the rings. Yours ever, Captain Planet. That's all for this episode of the Climate Ready Podcast. Thanks again to our earlier guest, Sean Fulu, and to Catherine Farr for her story in this week's Postcard from the Future. Until next time, everyone. Climate Ready Podcast is produced by John Matthews of the Alliance for Global Water Adaptation. It is directed and edited by Alex Maroner and Ingrid Timbo.